Hebrews chapter 9. Then verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made. The first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second, veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold. Wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people, the Holy Ghost, thus this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Let us pray. Reverend Tuig, sir, would you please pray over our Bible study and teacher. Amen, amen. Again, Thursday morning, 11 o'clock is the service, Thanksgiving service, Thursday morning. Reverend Corbett will be preaching for us Thursday around 1.30 or so. We'll be having the feast, and uh, we encourage you, come and join us. If you want to be a part of that mystery dinner game, do see Sister Devonshire, Sister Tierra. They're the ones kind of orchestrating that. We'd love for you to be a part. All right, now we've been teaching about, uh, as we shared with you, and we won't belabor the whole point, but Paul writing to the Hebrews. These were people that were once Jews that had become Christians. They're surrounded with the Jewish culture. The Jewish culture is constantly pulling them back in. And so Paul is writing them, warning them, hey, listen, don't turn back. If you turn back, there's no other Savior. There's no other way to get to heaven. It's a serious warning not to go back to Judaism. Now, part of the reason or part of the uh, impetus or the, the evidence he's laying out is that Jesus was better. He's better than the new covenant's better than the old covenant. New priesthood's better than the old priesthood. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Joshua. Uh, all of these things. And so we're dealing with now, we got to this tabernacle. And we shared with you some last week how that, or maybe we didn't get to it yet, but this week we're definitely getting to it, uh, how that the tabernacle that we had on earth is actually a replica of the tabernacle that was in heaven. We shared with you, God warned Moses, see that you make it according to the example that was showed you in the mount. Now, there's a reason behind that. There's a reason behind that. All the things in the Old Testament, think about this, they point ahead to Christ. Everything in the New Testament points back to or to that cross to Christ. Christ is the center of it all. And so when we get to this tabernacle, we begin to understand there's, there's a lot of meaning behind it. And so I could have put it up on the screen, but I knew that you wouldn't be able to see some of the things uh, on these printouts. So we printed it out for you. Let's kind of go along with it. Chapter 9, verse 1. Verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service, a worldly sanctuary. 
there was a tabernacle made. Now, you look at this red section there. This is the tabernacle he's talking about. There's two sections to this tabernacle. The first section is called the holy place. The second section is called the holy of holies. Sometimes you'll read it and it seems as if they discuss two tents. But really, or two tabernacles, really it's one divided into two sections. One divided into two sections. Come on in, glad you're here. And every day a priest would go into that first section. He would add oil to the lamp. If you look at the furnishings of the tabernacle, you had that, uh, that golden lampstand, symbol of the tree of life. Had the seven different things. It had a wick on top and every day they would have to add oil to the lamp. Every day they would have to burn incense. And so you look and you find this table of incense, altar of incense at the top, this small one there. They'd go in there and they would burn incense. And you think about it, you look inside this, uh, this red deal again. It was, it was covered with animal skins. There's really no air in there. So it wouldn't have a, a pleasant smell. So they burnt the incense. You can see God burning the incense as that which would make it more pleasant, uh, a more pleasant aroma. Now, incense has a spiritual meaning. Our prayers, the Bible said, are the incense. They go up as incense before the presence of God. And so you think about pride, self-reliance, self-righteousness, all these things that kind of drip from us that, that don't belong. Even as Christians, our prayers create that, that sweet-smelling aroma to God. It makes us palatable to him, if you will, with, of course, the uh, salvation that Christ has offered. But going forward, he said, every day that priest would have to go in there. He would have to deal with the altar of incense. He would have to deal with the golden lampstands. And then once a week, he would have to deal with the showbread. Now, the showbread, that's that one over here on this side. It had not only the bread, but it had some plates and whatnot. And once a week, they would go in and they would eat the week old bread, that would go to the priests and they would eat that. They had to eat it in the holy place. So they would eat that week old bread and then they would put in fresh bread. Now again, remember, everything in the Old Testament points ahead to Christ. Christ is what? Bread of life. Amen. We're talking about the lampstand. Christ is what? Light of the world. Amen. Providing light. Again, you look inside this tabernacle, you understand why they had to keep that light constantly burning because it would be completely dark in there without that. You had this priest, and so every day he would go into that first place, that holy place. He would burn incense in the morning. He would uh, uh, trim the wood. Once a week he would swap out the bread, doing these things. But once a year he had to go into the holiest of holies. And he had to present blood, blood for himself and blood for the people. Now, on a regular basis, if you look again, this outer court, we had this brazen altar and you see that animal there. On a regular basis, 
people would come and they would bring their offerings, their sacrifices rather, their sin sacrifice to the priest. Only the most cruel, calloused individual would not be moved by seeing this innocent animal being put to death for them. You have to understand, the reason that they were bringing that animal was because they had sinned. And only blood could take away sin. And so here you are bringing your animal to the priest because you were guilty. And you knew you were guilty. And you wanted to get back into fellowship with God. You wanted to restore the communication. And so God was giving you this visual cue of what was going on. That animal, it didn't do anything. It wasn't the one that had cursed. It wasn't the one that had lied. It wasn't the one that had gotten drunk. It wasn't the one that had gotten angry. But somebody, some innocent individual had to pay the price for your guilty sins. And the priest would take that knife and he would kill that animal and the blood would go out. The blood separating from the body of the animal, there goes the life. That life was covering our death. Because when sin comes in, death comes in. And so here you are, you're watching that. What do you think you feel? There had to be this, this acknowledging. Can't believe I did that. And remember, it was not just the innocent animal dying. That would be painful enough to watch, understanding the fact that because of me, this animal's had to die. But it also was part of the riches because that was what they didn't have a 401k. Their riches were in there. Their flocks and their herds. So not only are they watching the innocent animal die and bleed and, and because of them, but it's also costing them. And on top of all that, it didn't even do the job perfectly. Because the Bible tells us, even though that guilty person brought their sacrifice to the priest and he offered it, that priest had to continually offer once a year. Now, once a year, and this is, even today, thinking about it, it's, it's scary. Once a year, I got to go mobile for this, so. Once a year, the high priest will go into that, if you look at the thing, into that second area, the holy place. Now, I want you to think about this. They had already worked out a deal, a method if he failed. Around the bottom of his robe, there would be bells. And tied to one of his legs would be a rope. Because when, we, when he went in there, and just picture you being the high priest. It was not. It was not, yay, I get to be in the presence of God. I get to, to be there with the Father. No. It was God have mercy on me. I hope I do this right. And he would bring that blood in knowing the, the rope tied around his ankle and the bells were so the people on the outside could hear. If the bells stopped moving, they knew that he had been smitten, struck down dead. 
and the rope would, they would use, they would pull his dead body out of there so nobody else had to go in there. What was it emphasizing? The awesomeness of being in the presence of God, the reality of sin, and the fact that he had to go in there every year to offer this, this blood sacrifice, first for himself, while he was recognizing, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Even though I am standing in the presence uh, of God and I am the high priest, yet I'm guilty. And I need blood to cover for me. And then I need blood to cover for the people. And he would sprinkle that blood upon that mercy seat. Now, we've talked to you about this before. If you look again back to the, um, and maybe I'll just use this real quick. If we look again back to the handout I gave you, it'll work perfectly. And you can picture this not too far off of being a, a uh, Ark of the Covenant, okay? And you picture the two, you look on your thing, you had the two uh, cherubims on the outside. And God would meet with the high priest above the mercy seat, between the cherubims. High priest going, he had to, had to you know, offer the incense, spread the blood there. So that when God looked down, he would not see what was on the inside. Because on the inside they had the... Um, the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded, some manna, all of this through the years. This was what happened. They had that. So if, if it was done right, God would look down and he would see the innocent animal of the blood. And he would push forth their sin another year. If it was done wrong when God was there, he'd look down and he'd see the law. He would have to judge the people. Sin had to be judged. And so... Every year, there was a, that hesitation, that trepidation, that hope, God, I, I've got to do this right. And then even then, it was only good for a year, and that had to be done every year. Now, Paul writing this is showing us, this is why we know Christ is better. Because he did it once for all. And that's what the word means. If you can go to the end of the chapter, you'll find him saying it over and over again, three different times, once, once, once. Because that's what the word means. He did it once for all. Now, it was obvious that his sacrifice was better because he only had to offer it once. Old Testament high priests had to offer year after year after year after year because their sacrifice wasn't sufficient. It wasn't perfect. It was imperfect. Again, you get the picture. His priesthood is better than their priesthood. It was imperfect. They had to offer year after year after year because it never did the job. It was temporary. If you got to go to the mechanic day after day after day after day to fix your car, did he fix it? No, he didn't fix it. Do you follow? And so that, those were imperfect sacrifices. But Christ offered himself once. Now remember, everything I, I gave you in that handout, it's a picture of what's in heaven. So Christ went with his blood in heaven and offered his blood as the perfect sacrifice and God received it. And once he received it, he said, you don't have to make any more sacrifices because it was sinless, it was perfect. He had made that sacrifice, not for himself because he was sinless, but he made it for all of us. It was once for all. Now, that doesn't mean that your sins are forever covered, um, 
past, present, future. It means that if after I'm a Christian, I sin, I can go back to that one who already offered that blood still works for me. Do you follow? It's not an automatic covering forevermore. That's just not, not biblical. But it's a covering for everything in the past that we, we offer to God and we surrender to him. So that shows you the Ark of the Covenant. You understand the golden lampstand, the light of the world. Christ is the light of the world. We understand the table of showbread. He is the bread of life. He has made a sweet-smelling savor, an altar of incense. Uh, the bronze basin. The priests would have to wash themselves. And it's interesting because it was made of the women's looking glasses or the mirrors. They took all those mirrors and they put it together and they made that. So they would wash themselves. And you get this picture of when we go into the presence of God that we should be clean. How we determine if we're clean, we look into that mirror of the word of God. Amen? Not to what we think. And that's, that's what's so dangerous because everybody is able to justify themselves. Well, I'm not a murderer. I didn't kill anybody. Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm not as filthy as that man. And we, we, we rank ourselves. But we need to see ourselves as Christ sees us. And the Bible said we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all need forgiven. We all need to be born again. So, going on. Verse 7 kind of brings us into where we were at. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest whilst the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to conscience. Here was the, the big problem with the Old Testament is that there still was this guilt. And they had to offer it over and over and over because there still was this guilt. Every year, matter of fact, Yom Kippur is what the Jews have now. Uh, but every year in that time, they would have that, that big thing. They would recall all of their sins. And that's where they would go in and make that fresh sacrifice. They had to remember everything. Now, if you've ever been guilty of something, you've gone through this. Where it's just gone in your mind. Man, I can't believe I did that. Oh, God. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we can do the same thing that they did. We bring up all of our old sins and we relive them and relive them and relive them and relive them. Now, now God doesn't want us to do that as a Christian. Because God gave us a perfect sacrifice. And whatsoever sins I confess to him, the Bible says that the blood of Christ washes me, makes me clean. He never has to uh, die every year for us, thank God. So that blood is sufficient to cleanse us, restore our fellowship with God. We don't need to bring them up every year because it's been paid for. We're cleansed. If you bring them up over and over again, you actually devalue what Christ did for you. You're saying that the blood isn't as holy, as effective as God said it was. You don't want to do that. Amen? So, so their conscience, verse 10, 
it only stood, it, it's, it's right standing with God, stood in meats and drinks and divers, washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them to the time of Reformation. So they had to do all these things, don't eat the pork, and, and make sure you wash, wash before you eat, make sure you wash before you go into the sacrifice, and do all these things. And, and they had a thousand hoops to go through and steps to go over so that they could say, okay, I did it. Now, there are still religions that do that today. There are still religions that do that today. Matter of fact, they look pretty impressive. You see the Buddhist guy, um, he shaved his head. He hasn't eaten for two weeks and he's meditated for, you know, 37 days straight. And say, wow, man, he must really be something. No, 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 no. Even Catholics, matter of fact, I listened to a fellow he was talking about when he was in Catholic catechism. The nun said, well, all of our, it's like a ladder. And every good thing you do, it's like taking a step up the ladder. And when you do a bad thing, it's like you're going back down the ladder. And so you have to do more good things so you can get up that ladder and get to heaven. But she was completely wrong. Because none of our works are able to, to earn a standing or get us to the top. We don't, we don't do enough good works to get to heaven. Amen? All of our good works, the Bible said, are our filthy rags. We need it. Matter of fact, the whole Old Testament, the purpose was to show you that you couldn't do it. And so all of the religions that are based upon works and what you need to do to have a right standing with God, they come up empty because they can, you're never, you've never done enough. And, and we understand that because we've experienced that sometimes even as Christians. Well, the devil has, if he can't slow you down, he'll try to speed you up. You pray an hour and he said, oh, you could have prayed two hours. You read two or three chapters, oh, you should have read five. You go to church, you know, uh, every time the church doors are open, well, you should have fasted and you should have done, you should have been there early. You should have done more. And he tries to get you to live in this constant condemnation of trying to earn a certain degree with God. Now, of course, as a Christian, we want to be pleasing to God. But our righteousness doesn't stand upon how much you pray, how many Bible reading. Bible chapters you've read, how many times you go to church, our righteousness stands on Jesus did it for me. That's a perfect righteousness. That's a perfect, he, he, he checked every box. He did it all. He lived sinless. I did not. I can't stand upon my own works. We'll all come up empty. Now, once I'm saved, there's that desire in me. I want to be pleasing to God. And the dangerous thing is if we're not careful, then we swing to the other end. Well, because my righteousness is in Christ, I can do whatever I want to do. Now, that's not right either. Not, not, that's not acceptable to God either. Now that we're born again, we should live a holy life. He said, be ye holy as I am holy. Be pure. We should be pure like he is. We should be holy like he is. We should be more like Jesus. We should walk like him. That's what God wants us to do. So all this, he was, i got to hurry. Oh, man, my time is up. Um, let me go on a little bit further. But verse 11, but Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. i got to think about this. If you think about this tabernacle and all of the parts that were made, and you can't see it, but each of these um, wood deals had uh, two pins that would stick down. 
And then there were two bricks, and they would have holes, and they would stick in that hole and that hole, and then they would stretch it all out, and, and then they had boards running in between. I mean, it was just a, an intricate bunch of stuff. Now, let me ask you a question. Was every stitch perfect? Was every, every joint exactly 90 degrees? Did every time they stretch out the, the, the strings to hold it up, did they, was it dressed right, dressed just perfect like a robot did it? No, of course not, amen? There were imperfections that God granted grace for as man was duplicating what's in heaven. But in heaven, it's perfect, amen? In heaven, everything's just exactly the way it should be. I have somebody doing something Hired somebody to do something around my house, and I went out to check on it, and it was cattywampus. And I said, no, 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 it can't be like this. you got to redo it. You know, you got to change this and change that. You can't do it that way. For you, I didn't say it to them, but here's what I'm thinking. For you, it's a job you want to get over with. But for me, for the rest of my life, i got to look at that. And my wife will look at that and say, why did you let them? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I didn't point it out to her yet because they're going to fix it. Amen. All right. Man is imperfect. God is perfect. So we said he have a, we have a better tabernacle, greater, more perfect, not made with hands, not, as this, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, we're in verse 12, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now, it is. Our salvation is eternal. We have an eternal salvation. It's just not unconditional. It's eternal. We are saved forever, but we're not unconditionally saved. If we're saved, and I'm, right now I'm saved, all my sins are washed away, but if I go out and I kill somebody, that doesn't mean that because I got saved before that, that God's just going to overlook that. No, I'd have to repent of that to get to heaven. Amen? All right, going on. Verse 13, for the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So if those innocent animals were killed for us, and the Jews had to be moved in watching that animal and, and hearing it. It must have squealed, and, and, I mean, it's being killed. And watching it being separated and, and, and burned and thinking, it had to die because of me. How much more should we live and think when I realize that's what Jesus did? He had to die because of me. He was crucified because of me. How much more should I be moved? How holy should I want to live? When I see it and say, it didn't have to be that way. He wasn't guilty. It was my quick tongue. It was my bad thinking. It was my actions. It was my filthiness that made him do that. And I understand, and you know, it didn't stop there. 
And if we could hear the cries from hell as our Savior suffered for you and I, and it should make us, it should make us think, oh God, you did that for me. That's how much he loves us. I got to stop. How much more shall that blood purge our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So now it's not something we have to bring up year after year to think about. Once I confess it to him, Jesus, forgive me. I am so sorry. I don't know why I did that. I did it. I was selfish. I was arrogant. I was pride. I, proud. I, I, was, I was wrong. Forgive me. And God, by the Holy Spirit, takes that blood. Now, i got to just deal with this real quick. When we talk about the blood of Jesus, almost the same as we talked about the name of Jesus and how we said that it's not just this magic spell. And, and if you think about it, the blood of Jesus... For instance, a Roman centurion who was nailing his hands into the cross and he put the spike there and he nailed it and the blood splattered. I imagine it splattered on the Roman centurion. Did that blood instantly make him clean and pure? No. Because it's not the physical blood as much as the faith and the blood that he offered to the Father, his own blood, even if today we could take a, if there was somehow, you know, you probably find it on Amazon how they, they make fun of, here's a splinter of the cross and here is, you know, the, the shroud of Turin. You can get a corner of Jesus' garment and maybe they'd say, here's a vial of his blood, even if it was really his blood. And we took it today and we smeared it on somebody. Does that blood applied to them make them instantly clean? No, no. Because it's a, it's, a, it's a faith. Faith in Christ and the blood that he offered to the Father. So not the material blood, just like not the incantation of the name of Jesus. The understanding and the faith and that, 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 that understanding of what the blood did makes it effective without, I mean, I know my time is up, so if I keep on going, I'll be here another 15 or 20 minutes, so I, I, I have to stop. Come back next week, amen? Come back next week, get some more, and there's some more good stuff in here uh, along the same lines, but Jesus' priesthood was better. His blood was better. He made a sacrifice once for all, and we who come to him and confess our sins can know that our sins are washed away, we are made clean, we are restored to fellowship with him. Now, just one more quick point, and that is, if you're not a Christian, then we need to be saved. We need to come and, and confess our life. You cannot confess, I mean, if you, if you, if you are not, not saved, you can't remember all your sins. When I was five years old, I, I dipped uh, Tina's pigtails in the inkwell. When I was five and a half, I, I took my brother's pen. And when I was five and three quarters, I, I stole the red wagon. And when I was six, you know, we can't remember all of our sins. So we come to Christ and we say, God, forgive me. I have sinned, all of my sins. And then 
we're washed, we're, we put our faith in him and his blood, spiritually speaking, the faith that he sh- shed his blood for us, offered it to the Father as a perfect sacrifice makes us clean. Now, now that I'm saved, though, it shouldn't be that way. Well, we've got so many sins that you can't enumerate them all. Matter of fact, a day that you sin should be the exception to the rule. We should live on a daily basis without sin because God has cleansed us. He's given us the Holy Spirit. There's no reason why we should sin anymore. We, we find perfect satisfaction and fulfillment and joy in Jesus. And so why would we seek after the things of the world? Now, if you do sin, you know, he wrote there in 1 John, My little children, I write unto you that you sin not. But if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now I need to confess that sin. God, forgive me, I was angry. That particular thing that I did. Amen? God, forgive me, I did this. And you keep the slate clean. You keep that fellowship with the Father. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much. Your word is always so good, so rich. Thank you. Where would we be without your blood? Thank you for your cleansing. Thank you for making us clean. Thank you for restoring a fellowship with you. We don't have to stay in guilt and shame. We don't have to stay separated from you. Our past can be washed away, never to be brought up and thought about and relived. But taken underneath the blood of Christ, your sacrifice was effective, perfect, and it cleansed us. And God, if there are those here tonight that have not yet brought their life or their sin to you, let this be the night that they confess, they receive you, they find the best testament, the best covenant, the best priest, the best life in you, Jesus. And we thank you for it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. If you did not get a prayer.